Welcome to the SBCA podcast, Component Connection. Hello, my name is Jess Lewis, and I'll be your host today for Component Connection as we take a look into how a couple of component manufacturers are addressing the COVID-19 pandemic with their manufacturing operations. Today, we have Joe Heichel of Shelter Systems Limited in Westminster, Maryland, and Steve Stroder of California Trust Frame. Joe is the president of and CEO of Shelter Systems. He's also a past president of SBCA and was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2014. He's a 2019 winner of the SBC Industry Leadership Award and inaugural winner of the Dwight Heichel Humanitarian Award. Joe continues to serve as a longtime executive committee member and is gracious enough to join us today for this podcast. Steve has been a national board member of SBCA for over 19 years, including multiple committees, including the executive committee. Also an SBCA past president, Steve is the president and chief executive officer of California Trust Frame and carries over 30 years of experience in the construction industry overseeing component manufacturing operations from single location operations to facilities spread over multiple states and various markets. So with that, I'd like to welcome Steve and Joe to the podcast today. Hey, Jess. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited about this. I think it's going to be fun and kind of get an idea of what you guys are doing. So we'll jump right into the questions. And I guess Joe and, and Steve, I'll, I'll let Joe go first. Let's start with uh, having you give us a brief overview of your operations and number of locations and what area you serve, that kind of thing. Yeah, so we have uh, one location in Westminster, Maryland. Um, we're about oh, 70% multifamily, 30% uh, single family. We produce roof and floor trusses and uh, distribute engineered wood products. Uh, and then we serve from Virginia to Maine on the Eastern Seaboard. That's, I believe that's eight states total. Um, but that's about it. Okay, and and Steve, how about you? Oh, uh, we got uh, we we uh, service California, all of California. I've got uh, California Trust Frames got four locations, uh, one uh, kind of midways uh, throughout California, one up north in Houston, California, and then we have two facilities in Paris, California, um, south uh, just above Temecula in that area. Um, we manufacture roof trusses, wall panels, floor trusses, and we distribute the full line of uh, MyTech, Hardy Frame, and, and Lateral Solutions, uh, including Moment Frame. Then I have a, I also manage another company called Zytec Building Systems in uh, Texas, Dallas, Texas, and that facility is, uh, is primarily multifamily, uh, almost no, well, actually no single family, it's all multifamily. And, uh, and then the California operations are, are about 65% single family. And then the, the majority of the rest is multifamily with just, a, with just some custom mixed in. So, yeah, there's a lot of variety between the two of you from single location to multiple location and both very large and, and very important in your markets. And I, I like to have that variety with us today. So, so I'm looking forward to kind of hearing about that, I guess. Let's take a step back. And Joe, prior to coronavirus, what was your outlook for 2020? And how did you think the year was going to compare to 19? Well, I'll give you some background. Uh, 2019 was the best year our company's had uh, since we opened in 1976. Um, so we were coming off of about a 40% growth from 2018. 2018, we were damaged by the weather. We had about uh, 82 inches of rain total in the marketplace, at least at our manufacturing location. And 
normalized rain is somewhere between 25 and 30 inches. Um, so they, we pretty much lost a quarter in 18 as a result of the rain. 2020, we projected, uh, actually our, our constraint in 19 was really not demand. It was, we could sell more than, uh, than we could produce. So it was really manufacturing capacity. Um, and so we were projecting somewhere between uh, 5 to 8% growth in 2020 uh, over 2019. Okay. And Steve, how about you? What was your outlook for 2020 before this all started? You know, we start our forecast pretty early in uh, October of 19. And uh, 19 was a good year. Uh, you know, it's it's funny how things work out. Joe and I are on uh, two different two different coasts of the country. My 17 was was uh, the same kind of uh, experience he experienced in 18, and 18 was our best year. Uh, 19 it, uh, retracted just a little bit because not 18 was just such an amazing year. Uh, but we did really well. And then going into 20, we were uh, we were very upbeat, um, and actually we still are very upbeat. Uh, we we posted a, or we projected a, about a 12% increase in business uh, from 19, and we were looking uh, looking very good. And uh, you know, so far uh, it's it's going well. But you know, obviously we're we're up against uh, the silent enemy or the the mysterious enemy of coronavirus. So we'll see how that works out. And, and Steve, we'll stick with you here for a second. Uh, how has coronavirus impacted the demand for your products? And, you know, is that, have you noticed much over the last four to five weeks on, on demand changing? You know, that's a, that's a great question. And a, it's really been kind of odd. Uh, we, and I think this is probably a, a, a lot of folks have experienced this, but we've stayed quite strong. We just finished up uh, March and, and we're up. Uh, we, we had a pretty strong forecast and we're up over that forecast a good 8%. Uh, things are going great. And, uh, and then we look at, you know, what the coronavirus is doing the last four to five weeks. We've been very concerned. We've looked at everything. We've tried to cover everything, but we're, we're just busy. And uh, obviously we anticipate uh, slowing down and we expect that, but, uh, but we haven't seen a lot of it lately or so far. And how about you, Joe? How is, has coronavirus impacted your demand in your markets that you serve? So our first quarter was strong, uh, up a little from last year. So we were tracking about where we thought we were going to. Over the past couple of weeks, we've noticed a pretty significant uh, dwindling on demand, both on um, jobs that hadn't started yet being pushed off, as well as jobs that have. Now, I'm, I'm operating in a couple of states that have been shut down. First, uh, first Pennsylvania shut down, um, and then, um, then they ended up getting some waivers to, to continue some jobs. Um, and then uh, most recently, uh, New York is pretty much shut down, and we have two pretty good-sized jobs on Long Island um, that have been shut down. And then um, we've individual townships in New Jersey – are, are making decisions to shut down as well. We have one major job that's impacted by that. And then just in general, um, job sites are having fewer workers on the job sites as, as it relates to either quarantining or fear. So, so progress on the job sites throughout both the work and the inspections and the banking and anything you can think of, everything's just moving slower. So we're in April, 
we think we're going to be off about 20 to 25 percent what we thought we were going to be in about where we were last year in April. And and I guess, Steve, kind of as a follow-up to what Joe was saying, what disruptions are you seeing in construction in your areas? Well, that's a good point. We are absolutely seeing the same kind of stuff happening that we expect here in April. Uh, kind of what I was speaking to with not very much disruption has been the first three months of the year. It's worked out quite well, but we're seeing it now. So no question uh, in the Bay Area, they shut the Bay Area down. Uh, I don't know. I guess we're maybe almost two and a half weeks into that. And um, shortly after shutting it down, there were uh, some renegotiations are, are looking closer at the order to shut down. And some projects came back online, but we still have some projects that are shut down. There's a real fear that, uh, that, that that may bleed down uh, into other counties and what have you, but so far it hasn't. Uh, the governor's been quite staunch on his uh, position that uh, that construction is essential and it you know it is vital in California. We're very very short on housing, so I I feel like he's going to hold the line. But we've got a lot of the same situations. You know, guys are uh, folks are 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 struggling understanding uh, whether they should be shut down or not. People are dealing with uh, handling the virus and and handling the fears that the employees might have differently and some are doing better than others. So we're going to have the same kind of issues for sure. And in Texas, uh, we've seen some significant downturns, not necessarily to the coronavirus, but it's just been raining a tremendous amount, kind of what Joe experienced in in 19, we're seeing in Texas right now. And uh, we've got 20 inches of rain in the first quarter of the year where that particular area typically carries about eight inches of rain year round. So it's been a It's been quite dramatic there, but we're hoping for a better second quarter there. Yeah, and you kind of mentioned it a little bit, but I want to dive into it a little bit more. And I'll ask Joe this question first. Uh, Are the changes driven primarily by the government orders, you know, from the various jurisdictions? Or is it the GCs or the framers or some sort of mix of all of them that are, you know, kind of slowing things down? That's pretty much the government, okay? Um, the DCs and the framers are just kind of, kind of following suit. Um, and then, well, I'll put it to you this way. The, the shutdowns are driven by the government. And what the, the process that Steve described before where a job could get shut down, and I'm talking about maybe a, a 300-unit multifamily job might, have, might be 30% framed, and all of a sudden they get shut down. And then that owner slash general contractor will go try to get a waiver to at least get the existing building uh, dried in to keep the building from spoiling. Um, that's happening. They're, they're, they're shut down. It's kind of a sputtering, if you will. So the job will shut down, and then somebody will get to go do some lobbying, and then it'll start up again, uh, and then it might shut down again a little while later. Um, and then in, in, from the framers and the actual manpower on the job sites from all the subs and suppliers, there's just fewer people on the job because there's people that are afraid to work. Um, so there's just less manpower available in the, in all the construction trades. Is that pretty similar to what you're seeing too, Steve? You know, it is, um, without a doubt, it's the government making the decisions. And, uh, I would say that the, 
the contractors, the GCs, the framers, uh, all the builders. Just these folks are are highly focused on you know keeping things rolling and trying to protect their folks to be safe while they're doing it. And uh, we're just all we're just all following the government uh, recommendations. And uh, a lot of a lot of negotiations, or not not necessarily negotiations, but a lot of uh, clarification of particular orders that come out because uh, they don't address everything, and you, you try to figure out exactly what they meant. And that's the sputtering effect that Joe's talking about because you find out after looking into it that well, no, we didn't intend to shut that area of the of business down. Let's let's revise that a bit. So. It's a pretty dynamic, uh, dynamic situation, to be honest with you. So I give you a, give you an example, Jess. In Pennsylvania, um, the day after they shut down, there was fourteen thousand waivers applied for on construction sites. Um, so lots of uncertainty. Uh, the other thing too is that sometimes it's happening on the other side where we're getting business as a result of others being shut down. For instance, I got a call uh, yesterday from a framer out of New York who has a job site in New Jersey, who's and the supplier, uh, the component manufacturers in New York, and can't produce, so they're asking us to to provide, uh, you know, kind of a rescue operation to keep the job site in New Jersey going. I had some of that from, you know, Pennsylvania component manufacturers who are shut down, where we've gotten some business and in Maryland and Delaware and New Jersey as a result of that. So, you know, the fact that the supply chain is not being shut down consistently across all the markets that we serve is creating changes in the demand in both directions. Yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up. And, you know, you're an advocate of, you know, trying to share capacity whenever you can. And I guess this is probably a little wider scale on that. Is that working out, you know, as it should, or is that a positive experience for all involved? Well, so far, I actually haven't gotten calls. I put out feelers to other component manufacturers and told them I was available. All the calls that I've gotten so far are from customers, not from component manufacturers. Okay. All right. And I guess that kind of gets into a little more sales-specific question. Uh, what are your sales teams doing differently now in this environment? And have there been any innovative or new or, I guess, just different approaches to communicating with, with potential customers or your existing customers, too? Why don't you go ahead and take that one first, Joe? Um, well, our, you know, here it's, it's kind of trial by fire, right? So our sales guys kind of can hardly go to the job sites anymore. Um, in Maryland, you get, you're not allowed to drive over the state line to get into Delaware or New Jersey, or you get pulled over and get a ticket. So you pretty much face-to-face -face has been completely eliminated. You know, our sales guys have obviously used email and, and go to meeting and, uh, and text pretty extensively, but now they're pretty much using it solely. Um, so, you know, the guys are in, in their home offices on the phone and on their computer all day. Um, I know there's a, there's a pretty good uh, uh, percentage of people that are using, you know, Slack and, and similar tools to that to communicate as well. How about your sales team, Steve? Yeah, much the same. You know, we took a we took a pretty uh, aggressive approach right out of the gate when this started happening. Uh, you know, just <laughs> I don't know, maybe I've developed that attitude uh, over the over the last several years of being in California. They're 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 pretty serious about uh, things like this out here. So we 
we uh, immediately uh, asked our asked our sales guys to stop going to the job sites and stop going to the um, customers' uh, offices. And we went to email. I mean, we always used email and phone, but we went to that pretty much exclusively and asked them to stay indoors until, uh, unless there were some sort of uh, specific emergency situation that we had to address, and we would we would address those on a case by case basis. And that's really where we've stood uh, for the last you know month and a half or so now, and uh, it seems to be going very well. In fact, I'm seeing the 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 guys that maybe weren't so adept to um, you know technology uh, getting getting quite uh, familiar with it. So it's uh, I think we're going to see some things happen. Uh, I think we're going to see us uh, as a as an industry use uh, technology quite a bit more after this is all over. You know that might be one of the good positive things that come out of this is you know getting people more adept to to the technology and communicating in ways that. You otherwise may have not have thought of or, or been executing, but, you know, kind of thinking about you guys as employees as a whole, you know, we'll start with Steve here, but, you know, in general, how are your employees doing with all this? You know, I can speak to ours. Uh, I think we've really done a bang up job on this. The, the employees, uh, I'm, I'm actually taking time and going out to uh, the facilities and walking them on a pretty regular basis, at least down South. I, I haven't traveled up north with all of this going on, but I and I've got our COO that's uh, that's in the northern facilities quite a bit uh, while this is going on, and we're seeing our folks are are reacting quite well. I mean, everyone is everyone's concerned, obviously, but we've done a lot of communication. We have communication meetings uh, with small groups outside in uh, kind of a, a six foot diam, you know, six foot apart circle. Uh, a couple times a week, and uh, we've put out a lot of information to our employees on our on our mass texting, and uh, we have our we have all the things that we've put together to kind of address different different issues with the coronavirus, and it's gone quite well. Our guys are cautious, but they they seem to feel like that we're all over this, and and we're protecting them. To be honest with you, they're they're really happy that we're. That we're doing what we're doing so they can continue to work. And Joe, how about you? How are your employees at Shelter doing through all this? Very, very similar. There's obviously some apprehension and some fear, and we're doing our best to over communicate. Uh, um, same thing. My, my CEO, Lenny Mills, COO, Lenny Mills, has been spending time um, in small group settings, if you will, social distance, communicate several times a week uh, and bring people up to speed. You know, um, last night, the president and, uh, and Deborah Mix just kind of confirmed that the Baltimore, Washington area is the next hot spot. So, you know, we're trying to do whatever we can uh, to make sure that we're employing all the best practices to protect the employees as well as we can. But also to explain to them, you know, why we're really considered essential and why we're part of the supply chain and why the government, um, you know, views us that way because there's an awful lot of the community that thinks that construction might not be essential. So we're, we're trying to, you know, put the information out and communicate uh, as much as we can to keep the employees as safe as we possibly can. Um, something else we're getting ready to do. We, we typically have a, a quarterly lunch and it's kind of a town hall meeting, you know, um, state of the company. We talk about last quarter's results and, 
and talk about kind of what we're projecting going forward. Um, and that's usually a face-to-face -face meeting uh, where we bring lunch in for the whole staff. And uh, we just spoke this morning that we're going to do this this quarter's meeting virtually and put it on social media and try to use it as a tool to um, communicate with families directly as opposed to just relying upon employees telling the families what our strategy is to try to you know give get support from families at home about what our strategy is and how it relates to our employees strategy so um you know, it, it's a no question every day that thing goes on, the more challenging it becomes for employees. I love that idea of using the the social media to try to present those, you know, those communications to directly to the family and to let them know that they're in, they're part of the, you know, solution to all this. And, you know, one person might be really good at building trusts, they might not be effective to communicate it at home and, and everything that's going out. So I, I like that idea. And, you know, we might have to do an industry news article on that or, you know, showcase that as another way to to communicate with employees and and with their families because it's all very important and you know while they are coming to work you want to make sure that their concerns are alleviated as best you can so i guess you know we kind of alluded to this a, a couple different times but joe what groups or departments specifically do you have working from home and which ones are still in the shop or in the office okay so um all of sale and design uh, that have capacity, if you will, are, are teleworking. Um, we do have uh, admin and um, and a, a couple of of hourly design guys are still in the office. So I would say it's maybe fifteen percent of design is still in the office, and two or three admin. So the the, the totals may be ten to fifteen percent of the office staff is still there. Uh, is where 85% are, are teleworking. And then, of course, all of, uh, all of manufacturing is in the, uh, it, it comes to the plant every day. Um, Any pretty much today, we're, we're down about 15% of the manufacturing workforce every day, either quarantined or people who are concerned about coming to work or for some way, shape, or form aren't there. And how about for your location, Steve? Is that something similar or, you know, do you have anything different from, from that? Well, we're much the same. We've, uh, we've got about 85% of our sign and office staff that are working from home. Uh, we had a fair amount that were working from home to begin with, but, uh, but we've, you know, a significant move towards getting everyone to work from home. And then we, what we did is we split up and I think Joe's probably doing this too. We split up, uh, the office staff that remained uh, for production and what have you, uh, we split those folks up to where they were spread out around the office in a pretty significant manner to uh, get the social distancing. And then, and then we have all of our workers coming to work um, on a daily basis, production workers coming to work on a daily basis. And we're, we're taking a lot of precautions there uh, and, and it's really helped them feel good about things. We're, temperatures as they come in the door office and shop uh, we've got everyone wearing uh, some sort of mask or bandana or what have you as prescribed and then trying to uh, we're, we've also split up the split up the lunches and the break and what have you to where they're all uh, congregating in in uh, much smaller groups and 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 are able to keep that social distancing that's prescribed 
And, and Steve kind of answered my next question, but Joe, or, you know, what steps are you guys taking in your facilities to minimize any risk to, or potential risk that might be there for your employees? Pretty much the same stuff that Steve outlined, um, the social distancing, um, the math, um, you know, we made them voluntary, but now they're, we, we just went out and bought 130 of them. So we're, you know, we're going to have those available. Although I was a little on the fence with that when I heard Dr. Fauci talk about that sometimes when people put a mask on, they think that that's a license not to social distance anymore. So I was a little hesitant to, to employ those. Um, also, you know, staggering the, um, you know, staggering uh, people coming into the break room. Um, we actually, and now we have um, electronic locking gate uh, that we're kind of open you know, an hour or so before the shift to allow people to come in when they wanted to. Now we're taking that and locking those gates uh, to where within, you know, 10 minutes before the shift and five minutes after the shift, they're, they're locked and really trying to tighten down on that. Um, so just trying to do everything. And then, of course, we have cleaning crews coming in three times a day, um, you know, making sure that the surfaces are, are cleaned and constantly doing more research on what we can do better um, and, and trying to continuously improve what that process looks like. Uh, we installed uh, hand sanitizer in, a, in, in dozens of locations throughout the place very conspicuously. Uh, we're constantly posting new information, both on social media and, uh, you know, on bulletin boards and screens and stuff that we have the place. And just try to communicate and do everything that we can figure out that, that helps and protects employees as well as we can. And, and change is difficult for anybody, but are your employees embracing this as, as best can be expected, Joe? Or are they, you know, adhering to these changes or is it kind of a struggle? Well, it depends. It depends on the person. But yeah, it seems to be. You know, I think the over-communication and the fact that we're visible and that we, we call out little violations and stuff is help so we we, we also we, we relaxed all of our attendance policies um, so if you really don't want to come to work that's okay um, and I think people appreciate that and I think people appreciate the uh, uh, the communication as well I think everybody you know everybody's a little fearful these days and we're trying to do what we can daily to, to help overcome that fear and and Steve with your Employees, are you seeing much of a resistance to any of these changes, or is it still, you know, they understand that you guys have their best interests at heart? I think they're accepting them very well. Uh, we've, you know, like Joe said, I mean, you 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 have some empathy for your folks and really, uh, you know, try to try to educate them and help them understand where they're at and what they're do what we're doing to to help them uh, be safe and help them stay working. And I think they, they, by and large, they appreciate it a great deal. I mean, we're just very fortunate that we are an essential group and, uh, and we're, we have the kind of communication uh, coming at us that we do. Uh, I, just, I just really appreciate the, the opportunity to know guys like Joe and the, and the, rest, of the uh, rest of the SBCA members that, that uh, you develop relationships with and the SBCA and uh, our legal counsel can't uh, just sharing as much information as possible for us to, you know, to make sure that we can share employees. And I think they appreciate it a great deal. 
So, Jess, I, I want to echo Steve on that. I would tell you that I'm on the phone with other trust plant, you know, uh, CEO owners several times a day, um, just trying to, you know, float best practices so we can all learn from each other. Uh, and I think that's a real value to uh, our membership in the association, having the ability to, to talk to guys like that. I guess I'll use this as an opportunity to plug uh, the business solutions groups that, you know, if you're a component manufacturer that's listening to this and you don't have those relationships or you don't know who to call, there are a ton of component manufacturers out there willing to share information and best practices and starting to, you know, develop those relationships now when you may have a little bit more time or, you know, you may need to have some questions answered. Feel free to reach out to TJ Yerke on staff or myself, uh, you know, any which way that you know we're we're accessible that way, we can set you up with some component manufacturers to talk over some of these things and and help you establish those relationships. So even though things have changed a little bit on the SBCA side, we are you know we're still here to help, and we've got uh, very similar remote options for you to communicate with fellow manufacturers or even us on staff in general too. So so appreciate you guys saying that and you know affording me the opportunity to kind of plug some of the things SBCA is doing. Um, looking at our questions here, you know, do you think any of these changes that you're making today in your plants, are they going to stick long-term or is it going to be a quick rebound back to what, you know, was normal two months ago? Is, is there any long-term best practices that you guys are eyeing or that you're identifying that might be good to, to hang on to throughout all this? And Steve, why don't you go ahead and take that one first? Well, I think so. Uh, you know, one, one we've, uh, we really are seeing some great results from uh, from our folks that are working from home. Uh, they're 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 quite efficient. Uh, things are going uh, quite well, uh, and I, I see us. I don't know. I don't know how many. I'm not saying that we would have all of them, but uh, I, I I believe that we'll have a, a significant number of folks that are working from home more than we did before. I also see some really positive things that it kind of kind of kick yourself for not thinking about them. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're forced to do stuff like this, you, you wonder why you didn't do it in the past. Like, uh, you know, we're, we're sending folks home. If they have any kind of visible illness, uh, we're sending them home. I mean, we will have 15, 20, 30 people out because of flu each year and taking these precautions that we're taking right now, we're looking at our uh, absentee uh, list and, uh, yeah, 630 employees, and we've got 10 people out this morning. Uh, so it, it's working. And I, I don't understand why. I, I'm sure we will do the same things, uh, a lot of the same things, to, to keep our folks a little more safe and a little more efficient and to utilize more of the uh, technology that's been there for a long time. How about you, Joe? Are you noticing anything that you're going to want to try to implement longer term or, you know, even small tweaks that, that could benefit you, you know, when this is over? Well, there's no question the cleanliness and the communication will, will carry forward. Um, that's a big part. Now, telework and I'm not as convinced. Um, I'm a big proponent of the production workers having access to the design workers um, and the concept of socialization um, and people learning from each other uh, all from the design side. I think you lose some of that when you have everybody remote. Will there probably be some more flexibility um, 
for our design workers, yes, but I believe that our design workers in the future will come back to, uh, for the majority of time, working out of the office. But the, the communication with the employees and the social media stuff, I mean, you know, employing more and more of that, uh, I think will be kind of a long-term benefit. And I guess that kind of brings me to another point, uh, you know, that I might dive into a little bit more is, have there been any problems or any issues with the remote workforce and managing them, either, you know, your direct reports or even some of your mid-level managers, some of the things that you've heard, are there, have there been anything pop up that, you know, you didn't think of, or, you know, would have been kind of some of those, those difficulties, you know, almost immediately overnight having to switch to that workforce being remote. And Joe, why don't you answer that one first, then we'll ask Steve too. Yeah, we had to boot our, our IT strategy. We had to we had to, you know, we didn't have everybody set up to work remotely. Um, our VPN probably was not set up to have as many users. We didn't have enough licenses to, to have all those people be remotely. So, so Jason had some challenges getting us to the point where we could, uh, you know, we could run efficiently with that many people being remote. Um, same thing on our uh, our Shelter Smart software. It wasn't really set up to have that many remote users as well. Um, so we had to build some capacity into the system that, that we didn't have before. I would tell you personally, I was, you know, you just have to adjust the way you operate, right? I'm used to walking in and walking around and talking to people. And when they're not there, you're, you're texting or calling and, and there's some, you know, some loss of efficiency in the way you operate personally, some change in the way you operate personally. Not all bad, but not all good either. They're just adjustments. Um, so that's pretty much it. How about you, Steve? Any, uh, any issues that you've seen managing, uh, the remote workforce? We, we had the same situation. While we had, uh, a fair amount of people that were capable of working from home, they might set up, uh, designers to where they could work from home a day or two a week and things of that nature. Uh, but to the amount of folks that we had to move, uh, to the, to their homes, we had to do the same thing Joe was talking about. We had to upgrade our VPN and uh, put, you know, it set it set our IT department to scrambling pretty quickly. But they uh, they did a great job and had us up and running in a short period of time. As far as managing, there's uh, things that we've done to kind of uh, increase our visibility uh, for someone that's working at home and understand what they're doing and how they're, how productive they're becoming. Uh, we've put some checks and balances in place that seem to be working quite well, but uh, all in all, it was a pretty, it was a pretty smooth transition. And, and Steve, to kind of follow up on that, I think you utilized some remote designers just day in and day out. Did that kind of help make that transition easier for others and, and maybe those in the shop that don't have regular direct access to the designers? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I believe uh, much the same as Joe that you have to have you have to have folks in the office uh, where there can be a direct dialogue with the shop and the design department. But we've we've done that uh, pretty successfully with the group that we've left at the office with design managers and and some key designers that are capable of doing those sorts of things. But uh, yeah, we had a lot of folks that are working remotely. Uh, we have a, a contingency in of uh, designers in Nicaragua, 
that do a great job for us. They've been, you know, remote from the facilities, but we've since moved them to their homes uh, and they're working out of their homes now uh, in the same situation in Nicaragua. Uh, we also have uh, a pretty decent sized group of folks in Vietnam uh, working uh, for, you know, that's provided by our, our trade partner, Platinum Global. And uh, those, uh, those folks are working from home. Platinum Global has over 600 people working from home 600 designers working from home right now. I've been in very close contact with uh, with their CEO, Robert Stubbs, and uh, they've done a great job at making this thing uh, flexible and, and, and they do well for us uh, from their homes. So it's, uh, I, I think it gave us a, I, get, I think it gave us a little bit of advantage because we were doing so much of that already. Uh, it was just kind of normal. Our IT department jumped in and and uh, expanded things and made it happen. So it went pretty smooth. Thanks for that. That's That was a great response. Uh, I'm going to switch it up a little bit and go towards some more supply side questions and you know, kind of work through this as well. Are, are either of you noticing any disruptions to your raw material supply, whether it might be lumber or plates or other goods like PPE or machinery parts that you may be needing to get throughout this, uh, this COVID-19 pandemic? And Joe, why don't you go ahead and take that one? Sure. Um, lumber and plate, no, that hasn't really changed. Um, but the P little stuff, uh, PPE, and, and we have a relationship with Granger. We have a relationship with Cintas. Uh, hand sanitizer that was uh, that was hard to get for a while when we decided to uh, install those all over the plant. That took a couple of weeks to actually get that stuff. We're pretty much seeing kind of you know, uh, delays, not necessarily, uh, you know, back orders, but more lead time for everything is more, uh, machinery parts, um, things like that. Uh, all, all those things are taking longer to get than, than they used to. Steve, are you noticing any differences as far as, you know, anything that you're trying to get for on the supply side, whether it's parts or, you know, PPE or lumber or anything like that? You know, there was, as, as you go into something like this, it's kind of the unknown. And, and there was some concern on, on my side uh, that we might have some uh, shortages. And uh, we beefed up a little bit in our uh, plates and banding and nails uh, early on. And uh, I've, seen, uh, I've seen no disruption at all uh, since then followed up. Uh, our supply chain folks have followed up quite well with all of our vendors and and uh, we feel very confident that things are going to be solid. Uh, as far as lumber, I've seen no disruption there. There's mills that are curtailing and mills that are closing down. But our our lumber feels very strongly that we're going to be in good shape. We did take a, a little bit of a of a preventative measure that we'd actually been looking at uh, for some time, uh, possibly bringing in yellow pine. Uh, rather than the normal species that, uh, rather than just the normal species that we use with Doug Fur out on the West Coast, and and uh, we did do that. Uh, it was kind of in in work in the works already. Uh, we've done that, and it's worked out quite well. It's just kind of a backup, uh, but I see no disruptions right now, and and we're uh, we're hopeful that that they'll do real well for us, and we won't see that. Uh, PB, PPE is a different story, though. I mean, we've uh, we haven't even tried to order masks because we didn't want to uh, uh, the 
you know, where, where it was needed more, but we've, uh, cleaning supplies have been an issue for us. That's starting to kind of get handled. Uh, our, our purchasing department's done a really good job with it, but, uh, cleaning supplies were tough for us there at the onset and hand sanitizer, uh, cleaning supplies of, of all kinds of, uh, stuff that we needed. Uh, we've gone to a bleach water mix and, and we were fortunate enough to get that handled and, and it, uh, it's worked out pretty good for us, but it was tight to begin with. Yeah. Back to lumber. Have either of you noticed any crazy swings? I'm not watching the lumber markets as closely as I used to. Has pricing gone up, down, or has it just kind of stayed flat through this? And I guess we'll start with you, Joe, on the East Coast. Have you noticed anything different there? Yeah, the southern yellow pine has been going down since, you know, for the past four or five weeks, you know, since we started uh, with the COVID-19 uh, ramifications, if you will. Um, as Steve mentioned out there, there, you know, the mills are starting to curtail here to try to get the demand and the supply to match up. Uh, no issues with uh, with availability of wood, that's for sure. And, and Steve, I'll ask you the same question. If you've noticed any pricing issues at the Doug Fir that you typically use, and then, you know, has some of that downward pressure on the southern yellow pine, is that the reasoning why you're looking at bringing that in or maybe expand on that too, if you could? Well, uh, you know, our Doug fir prices, uh, they've been, uh, they've been coming down of late. Uh, we, we saw a little bit of a relief on the, uh, Doug fir prices in, in, uh, January, uh, the market dropped a little bit. It had been asked, it had been inclining, you know, all of 2019 and we saw a little bit of a pullback in price, uh, in, in January, but then, uh, then we saw the market continuing to rise. And just over the last, uh, I guess, uh, let's see, about uh, mid-March, uh, we peaked and, uh, and it started coming down. And we've seen a pretty dramatic drop in the last uh, week or so. Uh, we, had 45, we had a $45 drop in, in uh, the Doug Fur market. Uh, I, I anticipate, and, and my uh, supply chain manager has uh, told me that that we can anticipate that market continuing to drop on a more gradual basis uh, until until we see some uh, relief on this uh, on this virus and start seeing things becoming more positive. Uh, as far as yellow pine, uh, about the third week of the year, yellow pine was peaked at about 380. It's come down just as Joe had mentioned. It's come down to where it's now in the 315 range, and and I I believe it will continue to edge down slowly. Uh, same kind of situation. SPF's another uh, product that we're looking at for uh, in our market, but I, I don't know that we'll ever uh, get into that. But SPF's been, you know, come down significantly as well. Uh, about the ninth week where it peaked and, and it's come down current, uh, pretty significantly doing, uh, and, and probably will we'll be doing the same thing as the other, the other species we just spoke about. And have you changed your, your purchasing strategies due to the coronavirus or the pricing, or is that kind of just on track of what you would normally do, Steve? Well, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of non-typical to be honest with you. We were looking, we were very, very strong in, uh, in the first part of the year and we predicted a, a very strong start to the year. So, uh, we, we were buying pretty heavy and, uh, the market was, uh, on the rise a bit. So, uh, 
but but at this point with all that's going on we've kind of slipped into a uh, a normal pace where where things are volatile in the market and and you buy you buy what you have to have uh, we're bought a little heavy and we're uh, we're continuing to work through that product and you know it's a higher price than what the market is bearing now and uh, we'll we'll continue to work through that and and watch the situation and as soon as we see it uh, as soon as we see it begin to get better uh, we'll probably dive in and, and buy more before we see the market taking a, a large spike. So I kind of, you know, it's just a normal buying pattern and, and uh, reacting to the situations of the market, whatever they may be today. <laughs> okay. And, and Joe, are you changing much of your strategies? I know you've got some, some interesting ways that you purchase lumber, but uh, has anything changed from normal? No, we really don't take a uh, speculative position at all. We have we have minimums and maximum quantities per FKU that we maintain. So when we start to get toward the minimum, we we, we you know we load up to the maximum um, and then let it go. So the uh, so our strategy is not changing as far as purchasing goes. We'll just be purchasing less as we as the demand dwindles. Yeah, that's a that's a good point and kind of brings me back to my hardware store days to the min-max. So I like that approach, Joe. Uh, kind of transitioning here, I, I want to make sure that we don't leave out our other significant supplier to the industry, which are the, the plate suppliers. And the weekly SBCA survey that has been going out hasn't indicated any change whatsoever in plate supply. Is this similar to the experience you guys are having as well? I guess, Steve, go ahead and take that. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think our plate suppliers and uh, are doing a very good job. They position themselves quite well. Um, I am a MyTech uh, company, and we deal with uh, we deal with them. I was I've been on the phone with their folks off and on, and uh, actually just uh, had a conversation with them yesterday. Uh, they're positioned quite well. All of their all of their manufacturing, all their stamping facilities are. Are up and running and running at really top capacity. A uh, lot of uh, business from their perspective, and and uh, I know they've taken a very very large position in uh, in steel. Uh, that's that's uh, that they that they've just taken lately. So I think the the uh, for the foreseeable future, I don't see any problems at all with uh, with their supply chain. Anything to add to that, Joe? No, I'm also a MyTech fabricator, and um, their performance level has stayed the same. I mean, the lead time is exactly as how it has been, and we get what we want when we want it. It takes us typically about four days from when we order place till the truck shows up, and, and that's remained consistent, and I don't expect anything different. And I guess that's kind of why I threw it in there is, you know, when you get an opportunity to say somebody's doing a good job, which the plate supplier's in my opinion, what I've seen have been doing a very good job. So I wanted to kind of throw that out there to, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some of them that listened. And I know a lot of the management teams of the different plate supply companies have been in direct contact with SPCA working through the executive orders and appreciate the help and the input that they've given through navigating that too. So that was kind of an opportunity to, to tell them that they're doing a good job and we appreciate them. The other thing I might add to that, Jess, is not only are they doing a good job? But they have, at the senior level, reached out to me several times, at least twice a month, just to see how it's going and use us as a gauge 
uh, for future business for them. So I, I don't have to call them to find out, they call me. That's nice that that relationship is there and that they are taking that approach to, to make sure that they've got their finger on the pulse of what's going on. Well, they help us to keep our finger on the pulse of what's going on because, you know, when you, those guys are, are shipping all over the, all over the world that they can kind of give you some perspective about what's going on with other component manufacturers. Yeah. And I, I guess that brings up the kind of the question as we look longer term or we, we start to transition that way, at least in our conversation here of all the different supply side inputs to component manufacturers, are there any that concern you long-term? I'm thinking like three to six months from now. And Joe, why don't you take that one first? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, we got to keep our ear to the ground. Who knows? The biggest thing we have to wonder is what's the duration of this thing? The duration of this thing is 60 days. It's one thing. If it's 120, it's a whole different story. Um, so I'm not sure. I think the whole industry can change if it stretches out too long. And I think we just all have to keep our ear to the ground to try to figure that out. And Steve, what are you most concerned about looking looking forward, you know, two to three months from, from now? Well, I think very much the same as Joe. We're, you know, we've, we've got things working pretty smooth and people are dealing with this and, you know, hoping to put out the fire. Uh, but if, uh, if this thing goes on, uh, to uh, any kind of significant level, say over over the the sixty day period that we've kind of uh, got our heads wrapped around, uh, it could it could get pretty tough, and that's that's our that's our big concern. That's everyone's big concern. And I pray that that our uh, government officials are looking at this very closely and and realizing that you know while we want to protect life, uh, we also need to realize that uh, if we don't get back to work in a reasonable time frame, uh, there's going to be a significant, uh, problems and, and will be, uh, maybe worse than the virus itself. So I'm hoping that they're doing that and I'm believing that they are, uh, and that that's my biggest concern. And, and just a couple of questions before we wrap up here, you know, looking ahead, you know, I guess I'll ask each of you to put kind of your weatherman hat on and, and try to forecast how long do you think this is going to last? And then, you know, how quickly will we return to normal or, you know, what will, will it be a paradigm shift into a new normal? And, and Steve, you know, I'd like your opinion first and then we'll, we'll go with Joe. Well, we put a lot of thought into that and I've talked with a lot of folks like Joe and, and other leaders around the country about this. And I've looked at so much information and I feel pretty strong about this. I, I think we're going to see the numbers starting to get better. Uh, we are, we're already starting to see them get better a little bit. And uh, I, I'm hoping that uh, that they will continue to do that, and then we'll take the same kind of uh, trajectory that that we're seeing in other countries that kind of were ahead of us on this thing, and we're uh, we'll see it getting better. And uh, as we see it get better, I see uh, us loosening up the constraints and taking a you know uh, a pretty cautious uh, move towards starting the uh, country back up again. And I, I hope to see that happening in early May, uh, certainly in May. And, uh, and if that happens, I, I think we'll take a pretty slow approach and cautious approach with, uh, with the folks that shut down first, starting up first and a gradual state by state uh, start back up and, 
And if we do that over the course of uh, 30 to 45 days, kind of how we shut it down, uh, I think things are going to get back to normal and maybe a new normal. But I think things are going to get back to, to normal enough that our economy will start back up and and uh, we'll be able to salvage this year and it be a decent year. And that's that's what we're believing for. And I'm uh, like I said earlier, I'm hopeful that our president and the rest of the officials around the country are weighing that out uh, as I believe they are. And, and I think that's what's going to happen. And Joe, as you kind of look to, to get through this and if you were to forecast a, a recovery, if you will, or, you know, how we return to normal, do you see it with a paradigm shift or, you know, something that's going to snap back fairly, fairly quick? I guess I'm kind of predicting and planning for kind of a, an ugly second quarter, but then recovery starting in the third quarter and maybe even having a strong uh, rear end loaded year. That's how it's feeling for me. Uh, the uncertainty on that, though, is the duration. The longer it stays down, the, the, I think the slower it's going to come back is how it feels to me. Um, you know, sometimes these plans, these financial plans that some of our customers make, if they put these jobs on the shelf for too long, they might put them on the shelf for, for years as opposed to months. Um, but that's kind of the uncertainty for me, and that's kind of where I feel it going. I believe the stuff that I've read that, uh, you know, we are still way under capacity from a housing perspective and there's true demand uh, supply, uh, if you will, unequilibrium there where there's a shortage of housing. And eventually, whenever the, the money comes back into the system and we're allowed to keep going, that that shortage will need to be met. It's just a question of when. Thanks for that answer, Joe. And I, I guess just a couple more questions to wrap it up. And Joe, we'll, we'll start here. What, you know, if we were to ask for for some advice or what advice do you have to component manufacturers or anyone listening who may be running a business or in a leadership position to their location, what, what would you tell them? Um, well, the first thing is, is conserve cash and be able to project what happens. And one of the things that I'm thinking about is, you know, what what's the uncertainty that could hit us? Well, the one uncertainty is that the, that the demand can dwindle away and, and you could become slower that way. The other uncertainty is you have a couple of positive cases and you get completely, or your or your whole operation gets shut down. Um, and what that look like? I think you have to do some scenario planning as it relates to both of those. And the solution to all those problems is make sure you have enough cash to make it through to the other side. So that's that's my advice. And and Steve, what advice do you have for CMs or, or business leaders that could be listening to this this conversation? Well, I'm on board with Joe. You know, we pull in our horns and conserve cash. Uh, think about all the different scenarios that could happen. Plan for that. Plan cash flow for that. And then really uh, utilize the information sources that are available to you. Uh, to glean the vital information of on what we do and how we protect ourselves and how we protect our employees and how we protect the company uh, for whatever we're up against. And, you know, I just want to tell everybody that uh, it's really important to, to utilize that information. The information that I see out there right now that's the best is uh, the SBCA, uh, SBCA Council, Kemp Pagel with uh, Pagel Davis and Hill has been doing a great job informing us on a weekly basis. 
CDC information that's out there for us. The uh, COVID-19 task force, I listen to that like it's church. I go to it every day. Um, and, you know, your state and your state governor's office and the officials that you have and press conferences that they're putting on and your local business industry association have been super helpful. And any kind of financial groups like the, you know, financial groups and forecasters that you can gain access to, John Burns has been great for us. And then just, you know, take it serious and forge ahead. You know, like, a, like my grandfather used to say, when you're going through hell, you got to keep on going. <laughs> that is great. And, uh, you know, maybe follow that up with some advice to any employees out there, too, that might be listening. Is there, there much more that you have to add to that, Steve? Well, uh, yeah. What we're telling our employees and, and what I would tell all employees is, you know, follow directions uh, that are out there for you that, that are coming at you, the, the CDC directions. Uh, the OSHA directions that are that are being provided by your company, uh, listening to your uh, local government and following their recommendations, and use common sense, wash your hands, uh, as everybody's been been talking about, and focus on what you can control and don't focus on what you can't control. And lastly, stay positive, and this will also pass. It's all going to be okay. And, and Joe, you know, what advice would you have to, to any employees that, that are listening to this or, you know, anything to more to add from what Steve has there? No, I think Steve said it pretty, pretty well there, you know, keep positive and do what you're supposed to do and, and control what you can control. That's great advice. Thanks for that, Steve. And with that, we're going to wrap up uh, today's podcast. I could probably spend another few hours asking these guys questions, but uh, I want to give a real Heartfelt thank you to Joe and Steve for taking time out of their busy schedules to join us and sharing their insights. And as a reminder, we'll be hosting a similar podcast next week talking about COVID-19. If you have any specific questions you'd like our guests to answer, you can fill out the form that's been included in the daily COVID-related industry news or email me directly at jlos at sbcindustry.com. With that, I'd like to thank you for listening. Hopefully you are navigating your way through this pandemic as best as you can be expected. And we will talk to you again next week. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you for listening to SBCA's podcast, Component Connection. We are committed to bringing you a variety of information via this podcast. Please email your feedback or suggestions for future topics to podcast at sbcindustry.com.